0: Welcome to You Might Hate This Book, where each episode one of us will recommend a book to the other. A book that we love that we suspect our co-host might hate. Well, hate is a strong word. How about, mm, falls outside of their traditional scope of interest? Fine. That's fair. A book they would never have chosen to read otherwise. We'll read the assigned book, then come back together to discuss. Did you love it? Or did you hate it? So you agree we might hate it? (sighs) Yeah. You might hate it. I'm Stephanie. And I'm Hannah. And you might hate this book. Welcome. Hi there, friend. Hello. It's Good to see you. Good to see you. Well, we can start by reminding everybody that we still have our book giveaway going on. So what you need to do to enter to win a book is go to Apple Podcasts and leave a five-star rating and a review. And if you will screenshot that review and send it to us either through our phone numbers or hate this book pod at gmail.com, you will be entered to win a book at the end of the month. Yes. It will be exciting. It will be exciting, <laughs> and we will decide what book it's going to be and tell you at a point Ta- in time. At a time. Hey, mail that's not a bill is fun Yeah, I anyway. mean, you get a book. In the mail. And it, like, we have, gr- well, half of us have great taste, so... <laughs> oh! <laughs> ew, they get, I, I said not... half of us, they get to decide which half of us I'm talking about. Okay, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. We will pick something that both of us would think is good, so you're definitely getting something good. Maybe one of our, like, top picks from last year or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're just going to discuss it right here, right now. (laughs) Let's let's decide. I don't know. Anyway, who knows anything? So go enter that so that you can win a book. Yes, but I will say, I'm going to guess the book we send you is probably not this week's book. (laughs) I don't think that it will be? No. no. It's um, been out for a hot minute anyway. You yeah, probably I think it. I was going to say, if you wanted to read it, you've probably read it by now. But like, I hadn't read it, so True. <laughs> there's got to be. But did you want to read it? <laughs> it had never crossed my mind before go. this yeah. moment. Yeah, that's fine. I have a very important question for you. <laughs> I, am, I am ready with an answer. I hope. Would you rather spend your afterlife as a ghost or a fish? Uh, a ghost? <laughs> I feel like this is a trick question that I'm supposed to think about it more, but, like, it's obvious, right? A ghost? I just tried to pick something topical and I couldn't think of it. A... Oh, yeah. My mother is a My fish. My mother is a fish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, now that I think of it, there's not a whole lot of benefits to spending your afterlife as a fish. I mean, I mean you could explore the ocean. Which would be interesting, although... The parts of the ocean I'm curious about, you probably can't even go down that far as a fish. You get crushed by the weight. Right. Of I think it would be fun to be a ghost. Oh, yeah. I would for sure haunt people. Yeah. I would, too. (laughs) I'm so glad. Like Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) I mean, I'm petty in life, I'm definitely gonna be petty in death. I subliminate a lot of mine, but if I'm a ghost and I'm dead, like... I mean, why not? What's at stake for me? (laughs) Right? You might as well. Uh, I'll probably... just play a lot of pranks me too Mm -hmm. listen this is what my second novel is about it like (laughs) yes so any agents listening um (laughs) yeah like my second novel is like if i were being as petty as possible and i was dead and no one could catch me how would i mess with people i didn't like Mm -hmm. and i wrote that story there you go that's nice i like that yeah (laughs) yeah we would be ghosts but poor Addie Bundren was a fish, <laughs> 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 is not a ghost. She is, according to her youngest child, a fish. Um. So our book this week is William Faulkner's "As I Lay Dying." A cheerful title. Oh yeah. Uh. So you know, you know what you're getting into. I was never led astray from the beginning. Um. So I'm gonna give you a summary, which I did remember to write. I'm, I'm so getting glad. better. <laughs> okay. So Addie Bundren, wife of Aunts, and mother to Cash, Daryl. Jewel, Dewey Dell, and Vardaman dies at the beginning of this book. No spoilers here. Uh, she wishes to be buried in her hometown of Jefferson, Mississippi, but the trek across rain-swollen rivers and other rough terrain to get there is no small feat for her poor, rural family, all of whom are dealing with their own problems. I think it's that's putting it lightly. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, Cash, who built his mother's coffin, breaks his leg, and the family sets it with concrete (laughs) sensitive and poetic daryl observes the hardships of his family at the expense of his mental health we'll just leave it leave that as it is jewel his mother's favorite continues to struggle with his feelings about his selfish and manipulative father wishing to leave the family but feeling obliged to stay dewey dell the only girl needs an abortion and vardaman not yet a teenager is the forgotten baby of the family who's left alone to deal with the death of his mother Whose unembalmed corpse is rotting in the coffin as they make this journey. Yes. So there you have it. An Odyssey for the South in the 1930s. Yep. <laughs> I I don't know what to guess at this point. You gave it a two. I, I feel like that's safe. I gave it a three and a half. Oh! Which is I I gave did I give Hamlet a four? Yes. Okay. That was your first four. So almost. I, uh-huh. I wish everybody could see my face. I'm just so pleasantly surprised. (laughs) I'm glad. Yeah. I liked it at least as much, if not more, than O Caledonia, but not quite as much as Hamnet. That, yeah, so you're using your other books to figure it out. Well, I'm so glad. Okay. Well, I'm going to- I knew that you would be, like, really surprised by this one. (laughs) I am. Well, it's so dark, but I guess it's not hiding that from the beginning, so. As I lay dying. Right. (laughs) Um... Okay, so yeah, tell me about it. So overall, I really liked it. I was interested in what would happen next, and I wanted to keep going, which for me, I like books for entertainment. If it's a struggle to keep going, that's you drop a star for me. yeah, um, so I wanted to keep going. and I sat and read it while my child played around, like if I'm gonna like not even wait until Maggie goes to bed to read it, that means I like wow, it. and that's impressive because this is not the easiest of reading so it's, yeah doing it with a toddler that's to a focus that says a lot about you i really liked the voice of certain characters like some characters right. i just loved the voice others not so much but we'll get to that okay yeah um and i was really looking forward to their chapters and yes. especially when like it's told from all these different characters each chapter is from a different character Yes, I should have mentioned, it's told from 15 different perspectives. Yeah. Some of them only get one chapter. And others get lots. Multiple. So, like, you never know when you were going to get that voice again. So I was like, well, I'm going to keep going until I can get to that voice again. Oh, that's cool. I thought it was really funny. It it is black comedy, yes. Even when I wasn't sure if I was supposed to think it was funny, I was like, I'm thinking this is really funny. Yep. Okay, good. I'm glad you found the humor. Yeah. Because it's there. It reminded me a lot of the movie In Bruges, which we both like, and we were talking about the other day, like, it's equal parts funny and sad, Yes, and equal parts, like, realistic and completely hyperbolic. Right. It's both of those things at the same time, just like that movie. Yeah, that's a good description, yes. And it it deals with very real-life circumstances, Mm -hmm. but then those circumstances take place in this, like, completely extreme way. Yes. And it takes place in a real location but with an element of like dreaminess to that makes the place almost seem not real even though it is oh yes we're going to talk about old yakna county <laughs> i've practiced oh i'm so glad <laughs> i didn't and so i'll just cue you if I, I got I'm... it <laughs> and there's like a blend of whimsy and grotesque that is yes. both entertaining and unsettling yes and I loved the movie in bruges for lots of reasons but like my main reason was that it was so funny sad sad funny like i laughed out loud to the point of almost peeing my pants and cried like and was grossed out like yeah i have to cringe yeah and this book did that where i was like i feel everything cool i think i'm finding out that i like things that can be categorized as gothic yeah and i would not have known that about myself nor would i even have known How to categorize it before this podcast because that is not something that i thought about Mm -hmm. but i was thinking about some of the stuff that i liked and i was like wait you might just have a type i think i like things that can be categorized as gothic so we talked in episode two about how i grew up in the south and so like southern settings kind of kind of get me i've I've thought about that yeah Mm -hmm. I grew up in Dallas, which is, like, not a small town. But my father has owned a farm property out in East Texas since before my parents got married. And when they got married, they retained that property. And almost every weekend of my childhood, we would go out there and rebuild it, essentially. Like, my parents took it down to the studs, essentially, and rebuilt it. And you just called it the farm, It's called, yeah, we just call it the farm. (laughs) Right, I love that. And my parents live there now, and we still just call it the farm that was their retirement yeah plan right yeah yeah this is a town of fewer than 300 people right i'm pretty sure the people have declined since the sign was made so it's yes. got to be even less than that there's a corner store a post office and a blinking yellow light uh we went this is your yeah town yeah with the farm right yeah so i spent my childhood weekends on like bare wood floors that left your feet black and like slapping screen doors and a decrepit barn and wood scraps and crumbling mm-hmm. faded red bricks and sagging barbed wire fences that the cows are like rubbing up against and buzzing flies and knee-high weeds and stale smelling quilts. Oh yes. Like all of that is was so just... You have all those sense memories. Yes. Mm-hmm. and when I started this book, page one, I pictured the farm. Like, that is where all of this took place for me. And like, the porch steps where the men are talking at the beginning of the book, they're the farm porch steps. And the barn that they walk into at the beginning, that's our barn. And Addie's in my parents' room. And like, I could hear the screen doors and smell Mm. the like, the summer hotness. Yeah, the way things smell. Slightly rotten, but also sweet in the summer. Yeah. And so, I don't know, it was just very visceral for me. His writing is very visceral, yes, and that's something he's known for. Even the way they were talking, like talk of making boards plumb and whether or not something was on balance, that's the kind of way that I spent my summer, or mm-hmm. not even my summers, but my weekends as a child, and so it just immediately got me. That's cool. Um, the southern small town setting, which you are now also keenly familiar with because we chose to live in one. Right. I did not grow up in one or near a farm as you yeah. did, but, yeah. but now we live in a southern small town. Literature often well, even all kinds of media often depict like the southern small town as like derelict but beautiful kind of way. Romanticizes it a bit. Yeah, but mm-hmm. it's like it's run down and small and Kind of gross, but also romantic and whatever, Mm and in in a way that's very hard to explain, but also accurate. Because like, if the South had nothing to offer but like rundown buildings and racism, no one would live (laughs) here. Right. But like, we have chosen to live here because there is that kind of, and this was running throughout the book of like, why would anyone live here, and also why would you ever live anywhere else? Right. That kind of like that's the small town quintessential question is like how the heck do you live here and also why would you ever be anywhere else there's something beautiful about it Mm -hmm. yeah and that was really felt in these pages and that carries over to the people the way that the southern people are depicted stooped and limping Mm -hmm. and covered in dirt and all of those representations happen in this book but also offering really inconvenient help to other people because that's just what you do (laughs) inconvenient help that's a good way to put it yeah (laughs) so the people are depicted in this like grotesque like bone skin and bones skinny covered in dirt barefoot but also you know i'm gonna go out of my way and. Yeah, they've got that heart for wagon. their community and, like, they help yeah. each other because otherwise they don't survive. Yeah, so both the town and the people in the way the South is often depicted, not just in this book, but in everything, is, right. like, derelict but beautiful. hmm And yeah. so I like that. I loved the way most of the characters talked. <laughs> that's, that's fair. I have to ask you. I'm going to interrupt before you go on. Who was your favorite? Ants. Really? Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I knew that you would not guess that. Okay, cool. That's <laughs> that's Addie's um husband, the dad. Yeah. Okay, continue. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking. I thought it was so funny the way people repeated phrases over and over like, "Well, I don't begrudge it." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and it was a good cake. It was, it a, was good, a good cake. Yeah. And like mm-hmm. that's so realistic especially since they're oh, not yeah. talking out loud a lot of the time they're just thinking and it's like man it was a good yes. game you get a lot of interior monologue um with these characters yes i wrote down a couple of my favorite like oh, do it quotes and i don't know these just tickled me read I, them i don't Go know ahead. i reckon if there's air a man or woman anywhere that he could turn it all over to and he as in god Anywhere that he, God, could turn it all over to and go away with his mind at rest, it would be Cora, and I reckon she would make a few changes no matter how he was running it, and I reckon they would be for man's good. Least ways he would have to like them, least ways he might as well go on and make like we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's their neighbor, right? Yeah. yeah. And this is... Um, Cora's husband talking about her, just saying, like, if God was going to leave someone in charge, it probably would be Cora, and she probably would make the right changes, and even if she didn't, you better get on board, Like, it's And Cora. God would get on board. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's Cora. And anybody who's spent time in a small southern town, you've met that woman. You have met that woman. And she's not unlikable, but it's like a force. She's yeah. just like, yeah, she's going to take charge. That quote, I, like, I knew it in my gut. Um, <laughs> sometimes I ain't so show. <laughs> yep. Who's got air a right to say when a man is crazy and when he ain't? Sometimes I think it ain't none of us pure crazy, ain't none of us pure sane, until the balance of us talks him that away. It's like it ain't so much what a fellow does, but it's the way the majority of folks is looking at him when he does it. I had, uh, if you couldn't, nobody could see me, but Stephanie, but I was fist-pumping yeah. <laughs> when she was reading that because I also had that quote I felt down. pretty sure that you, that seems pretty quintessential to the book. It does, and it's like, one of the cool things about it and i'll get into his style later but it's written in that dialect Mm a very real dialect that can make it sound stupid or ignorant but it's a very deep truth yeah and it's real and it makes you think and the fact that he juxtaposes that style with that content i love when he does that yeah well and i know that using any kind of really specific speech whether it's like down home southern speech or you know, fancy language like, oh, Caledonia, Mm -hmm, right, that can lend itself to like muddling the message or being confusing or being like annoying in some way. But I, I think when it's done right, there are phrases that you and I will never say that when you use a specific dialect can get it just like the perfect definition in words that we would never have used yes um i agree like one of my examples that i always go to is like i don't think that the king james bible is clear at all and not a good translation right. and i don't use it for anything but paul talks about being like straight betwixt the two yes. and uh talks about the curtain being rent and twain and there's yes. something like I would never say that, and it's almost more confusing, but it's also just lands harder when you say rent and twain. Right. It's not the the E-T-Hs at the end of words, but it's the the different use of diction. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that's what got me in this. Like, Mm -hmm. I was like, I never would have said it that way, but man, if you aren't right. Yes. I have several more specifically about ants, and this is... I have one about ants, too, and I'm wondering if you have the same. It might be. Continue, because I love his writing, so I'm happy to hear. So a couple things that I thought were funny Yes, were drilling holes in her face. Oh, my gosh. Yep. Yep. They have her in the coffin, right. and the youngest one, right? Vardaman. 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 It's like she can't breathe in there and gets out his brother's <laughs> drill, like <laughs> drills holes in there, but he goes too far. And so he drills into her face and then they put a veil over her so you can't see the burrow holes uh, in her face. And then they just package her back up. Yep. Yep. I don't know. That just got me. It sounds like something that would be in a Martin McDonough movie. Like, Yeah. It, it, it's just so ridiculous. And, like the coffin falling off the wagon and going down the river. Yep. That was, oh, that river scene was like intense, it was too much. So, uh, and the way that she stank. Like, yes. Like they. This is I don't know what year it is. It was published in 1930, so thereabouts. It's the early 1900s, mm-hmm. and they're in a wagon, and mm-hmm. they are have this woman in a coffin who is not embalmed, and right. she's out of the ground for like nine days. Yeah, I was gonna say ten days. Mm-hmm. Like a fair piece of oh, time. Yeah. Well, when they finally get to Jefferson, the whole town knows. And it's July. Because it stinks. It's July. And if you've ever experienced July in the South, good grief. Oh, yeah, it's bad enough without a dead body. I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those books that the concept, I mean, without the concept, you have no book. Yeah. But it's a concept that could never happen today. Like, it's yeah. very much of its time and place. I have place. thought about how to do, a like, a... Modern retelling yes. of this book. That is immediately what I wanted to do when I finished. Uh, I was like, I want to do a modern retelling of this. I haven't figured out how to do it yet, but... It will come to you. Yeah. Perhaps in a dream. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps in a dream. <laughs> I loved Ants. Okay. Um, he's, he's For his yeah, humor? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean... I would never tolerate a person like this in real life. Right. He's the lazy martyr. And I feel like we all lazy martyr. (laughs) Yes. We all know or have known a person like this. So like he's he's the guy who calls and says like my car broke down and you're like oh well you can borrow my car He's like, oh i could never bother you like that i, I don't want to be beholden to I no one. beholden to no man yeah i would never bother you oh i'll walk okay are you sure i could drive you no i wouldn't put you out like that and so then he drives down or walks down the road for six miles and then has to stop because he's fainted and he needs water he goes, oh i wouldn't put you out like that but now that i'm out here i could really use a sandwich and i could really use a gallon mm-hmm. of water because i've been walking i've been walking because my car Car broke down and it's like I offered you a ride. Yep, but but by doing that, he manipulates people into helping him with no requirement of paying back. Yes, like like watching it happen, I was just going like. Yeah,
1: (laughs) he's the guy
0: who gets everything for free because he refuses help to the it's to the point that he martyrs himself. Yeah, anybody with half a heart is going to help him. I just. Yeah, he was such a specific character, and the way he talked just got me. Specific, and yet we both know people like this. Yeah, yeah. You know. I have a quote that, um, it's the neighbor talking about Mm -hmm. ants, and this, like, defines him. I notice how it takes a lazy man, a man that hates moving, to get set on moving once he does get started off, the same as he was set on staying still. Like it ain't the moving he hates so much as the starting and the stopping. And like he would be kind of (laughs) proud of whatever come up to make him moving, to make the moving or the setting still look hard. He sat there on the wagon, hunched up, blinking, listening to us tell about how quick the bridge went and how high the water was. And I be durn if he didn't act like he was proud of it, like he had made the river rise himself. Yep. This person who's like excited for anything that's gonna make like a life a hardship so that they can talk about how their life is a hardship uh, i'm trying not to think of specific people but <laughs> we're, we're i be, definitely am we're, we're being kind right now uh, a filter <laughs> too bad the lord made the mistake of giving trees roots and giving the answers he makes feet and legs <laughs> <laughs> what a great yeah they so They make a lot of their own problems. Oh, they make every single one of their problems. So, Addie dies, and she wants to be buried in Jefferson. Mm -hmm. And Ants is like, she wants to go in our wagon. Well, I just sent away my sons in our wagon, and they won't be back for like three days so everyone's surprised that they're even waiting the three days and then the sons get back and he's like okay well now it's rained and the river has flooded so they go to the river and they can't cross it but they try to cross it anyway even though it's obviously flooded and everyone says you definitely cannot do that and it's very clear by looking at it you cannot cross they try to cross anyway and his sons tell him yeah and they wreck the wagon because you drove into a flooded river and is that when they lose the mules yeah. yeah, so they lose the mules and the wagon, so yep. they have to go to somebody else's house, and they're offered a wagon to borrow, but he's like, No, I'm going to buy my it. own wagon, because I wouldn't be beholden to no man. So he goes to someone else and tries to barter for a wagon, and trades his son's horse. Uh, Jewel. That's, yeah. Jewel is so ill with him. And then when Jewel is mad that his dad has sold his horse, Ants says, for 15 years, I ain't had a tooth in my head. He says, God knows it. I knows in 15 years, I ain't at the victuals. He aimed for a man to eat and keep his strength up. And me saving a nickel here and a nickel there so my family wouldn't have to suffer it. I thought that if I could do without eating, my sons could do without riding. God knows I did. Uh, and that comes back, this theme of taking from his children. Yeah. And his teeth. Yes. Because at the end of the book, Dewey Dell has money from her paramour Mm -hmm. to get an abortion. Her dad takes it to get, you guessed it, a new set of teeth. A new set of teeth. And it's like, oh, man. And, like, even at the very beginning of the book, when Addie is, like, not even dead yet. Right. She's not, yeah, she starts out alive. Yeah. She's not even dead yet. And he's like, well, we're going to have to go to Jefferson to bury her. I don't begrudge it. At least I can get those teeth. <laughs> yep. That's the whole thing. And you know what? He does. He does. He, he gets, gets his teeth. Because he's that kind of person. Like, as much as he gripes and complains, he ends up getting what he wants. He made it ten times harder. Yeah. Than it ever needed to be. So he took cat. He, he took, took Cash's money for the radio. He yes. took Jules' horse, yes. and he took Dewey Dell's money for her abortion. Yep. To get yep. him a wagon. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, we can mention here the other thing he picks up in Jefferson when he takes his dead wife. Is a new wife. Yup. Like, that's how the book ends. Like, hey kids, here's Here's your new mommy. (laughs) Yup. Last (laughs) page. Here's Mrs. Bundren. It's like... What the, what? <laughs> I guess you got those new teeth and you look and fly. And I, got I, a new lady. I mean, in the, that part of Mississippi, I guess that's all you need. So. <laughs> he has a full set of teeth. Yeah, I couldn't help myself. Mm-hmm. And this whole time while everything's going wrong, even though Ants is like obviously causing every single one of his problems, he's like annoyed with the kids because they're quote unquote doing things that are causing problems. And he's just talking to himself, like, I tried to do as she would wish it. The Lord will pardon me and excuse the conduct of, of them he sent me. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. Lord, like, forgive them. Jesus, they know not what the they take <laughs> the wheel. Like, you know, it's going to be okay. Yeah, my um, other quote that I had about ants goes along with this, like, lazy martyr yeah. theme because be darn if there ain't something about a darn fellow like Ants that seems to make a man have to help him, even when he knows he'll be wanting to kick himself the next minute. <laughs> yeah, that was repeated a lot. Like, yep. I've helped him for this long, I don't think I can stop helping him. He's one uh, of those people where, like, oh, you fell on hard times. Like, sure, I'll, I'll help you out. Well, and then they come back, and you're like, well, I mean, sure, right. sure. And then 20 years later, you're like, well, I I guess, guess I still have to help ants because. Yeah. What, what are we going to do? Uh, oh boy. He's a very real character, as he comical is. as he is. I'm glad we can laugh about it because I have a person like this in my. Oh, yeah. Real life. In real life, they're not funny. In real no, life. it's very frustrating, but this is a nice catharsis. Like, we'll yeah. just laugh at ants. Okay, you've made me like ants more because I was just annoyed with him. I mean. Like I said, in real life, if I came across this person, I would be like, you are unbearable. But just the way that Anza's voice was in the book was just so funny. And I don't know. That, like, self-deprecating, like... He was always the comic relief when, like, other serious stuff was happening. And, like, the story could be really not funny. Like, well, yeah, when I read the summary, I'm like, yeah, this doesn't sound like comedy. Yeah. The poor woman, get her in the ground, and, like... I don't know. The stuff that happens to her coffin and the buzzards flying overhead and the coffin falls out of the wagon yep. and all this stuff. It would be so sad if it weren't for ants being like, well, the Lord wills that I tried to do right by her. <laughs> my house fell down and my tail fell off. <laughs> Addie was a hard character because at first I yes. had so much sympathy for her because all we know about her is that she died, Mm -hmm. and she wants to be buried in Jefferson with her family, Mm -hmm. and they're disrespecting her dead body by like- Practically desecrating it. Yeah, I mean, truly, I know she's dead and can't care, but like think of all the things you wouldn't want people doing with your coffin. like. Even, like, sticking someone in feet first feels disrespectful. Like, yeah. that would make me cringe if I saw someone going into a hearse feet first. I'd be like, oh, you're doing it wrong. But she's just, like, toppling over. They, like... Getting holes drilled in her holes face. Holes drilled in her face. She falls over. She ends up twisting. You can, like, hear her rolling around. There's, like, stuff leaking out of the coffin because she's been swollen up for eight days oh. cash has to like use her coffin as a bed for his broken leg oh cash just is bro- they're like his chasing chapters. off buzzards from trying to eat her Ugh. and so it was so sad until you get to Addie's chapter yep she's a real piece yeah and you get her chapter i mean you get her perspective before she dies but you do get a chapter or two i can't remember I think it's just one. It's just one after she's dead. Yeah. So And she's like, I hate my husband, which, like, I get it. Sure. Um, and then she's like, I hate my kids. Yeah. And she talks about how viscerally she hates her kids. Yeah. I'm like, okay, well, I don't love that. Also, you could stop ha- having them. And the way she talks about them and the, mm-hmm. I don't know. And then, like, she's having an affair, which, like, doesn't everybody in a book. Right. But, man, the way she talked about her kids and everything, I was like, Oh, I don't even like you, but I still don't like what they're doing to your body. I still don't want the buzzards to get you, but I kind of hate you. It makes it a little more palatable. Like None we... of these characters are, like, someone you want to be or be friends with. Yeah. So And then, like, her chapter brought up questions for me. Like, do her kids actually like her? Like, it felt like they did, you know? Dewey Dell wouldn't leave her side, and Jewel and Cash is, like, working really hard to make her coffin perfect. And yeah, Jewel but... was the favorite, but, like, she kind of actively hated them i think that some of the things you just mentioned like dewey dell not leaving her side cash working on her coffin i think it says more about them than their love for her cash is the oldest yeah he has to take care of and do the things and he's kind of a perfectionist dewey dell's the only girl so it's yeah. like what am i gonna do i'm gonna be by my mama yeah um i think when i read it at the end of the day i just felt like none of them knew her yeah, they just felt, like, beholden to yes, like, doing th- these like This is acts. just my mother, and so I have to do these things. But they kn- none of them really knew her. Even Jewel, her favorite, who, Dub, yeah. not Ants's kid. <laughs> um, and, like, I couldn't even figure out, did Ants like her? I mean, as much as a person like him can Ants like another person. Like, it, she served a purpose for him and helped him out. And so it's like, I don't think he's a real... Deep thinker. He doesn't think critically about his no, relationship. No, and so with it's others. like she, sh- she'll do fine. Yeah, <laughs> I feel like that's what he. She made me many sons and helps plant the stuff that yeah. I won't plant because. I mean, clearly, as quick as he goes to get another wife, yeah. it's more utilitarian than romance. Here sure, <laughs> we're looking sure. For. Don't think it was love at first sight at wherever you buy teeth.
1: No, <laughs> the <laughs> teeth store.
0: Oh no. Wherever one buys teeth and you meet someone in line and you do a gummy smile at each other from across the like, aisle and hey, you're like, "Hey, um, it must be love." Why hasn't somebody made this into a movie that is good? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, didn't someone make it into a movie? Yeah, but I've never watched it. I've, yeah. I didn't I don't trust it. I think it's not, I feel from, like it wouldn't be good. From the trailer, it looked like it was too earnest, and it misses mm. all this all stuff, the funny stuff that we're talking about. It's gotta be funny. Like, Martin McDonough needs to make this into a movie. Okay, well, we'll call him, <laughs> okay. and we'll tell him. Sure. So, there was something about, in Addie's chapter, she was like, in order to get Ants back, I'm my last dying wish is gonna be to be buried in Jefferson. Yeah, she did it out of spite. But how how would she have ever known that it was going to be this challenging? Did she just think it was going to be as challenging as going 40 miles away? Yeah, I mean, well, she knows ants. He oh, makes everything harder than it has to I be. I guess that's true. Like, she knows him. If you've lived with him that long, it's like, yeah, I'm going to give him a real job. We'll see how this goes. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was funny. Like. Because he's so earnest, like, well, it's what she would have wanted, yep. and it was her last dying wish, and this is what she really wanted. She's got to be buried in Jefferson, and everyone's like, just put her in the ground, Which, literally anywhere. She knows that about him, too. Like, he's not going to give up, even though he's making everyone miserable. Ah, oh, that's funny. Mhm. It is. It's a pretty good comeuppance s- scheme. Yeah. But it also that's pu- a good prank. When you die, you should do <laughs> oh, no <laughs> But it puts her, like you said, it puts her poor kids through the ringer as well so yeah not great why did the kids listen to ants like at every turn they were like dad this is a this is a really stupid idea we could just do this and then at the end of the day he's like no i won't be holding to no man and they just like do what he says and everything goes awfully yeah i mean do you think would you chalk that up to just the time period that it's in? It might be, yeah. And, like, I imagine if you've lived with him for so long, you just kind of, like, roll with it. But, man, it was, like, everyone knew how stupid this, like, yeah. comedy of errors was going to be oh, yeah. before it happened. And Ants just, like, leaned right into it. Yep, he sure does. I really liked the atmosphere. I really liked the voice. Cool. I, I really dug the, like, funny... Slash sad parts of it. Black comedy. Yeah. Black comedy. Some of it was pure nonsense, though, and (laughs) absolutely impossible to wade through. Okay. And kind of like what you said last week about Love Hypothesis, like I just kind of had to forget that there was a teacher student relationship. Like I can like the rest of it if I just like pretend that doesn't happen. Right. I just pretended like Darl wasn't real. And I'm saying Darl. D A R L is how. Is it Daryl? Just spelled bad? I. I have trouble saying it, Daryl? A Darl. It's like coral. It's like rural. Rural <laughs> I don't know. Yes. Yeah, so. I mean, it, yeah, it's spelled D A R L. I was like Daryl. I self-corrected Daryl, but I mean, I have trouble. That would have been nice if he used named name Daryl, but he wasn't. I mean. Yeah, unless Vardivin, like, a, like I, who who won this? Dewey Dell and a boy <laughs> named Jewel. I mean, they all lost except Cash. <laughs> yeah, Cash. Is Everyone but a... Cash really got dealt a sh- short stick there. Yeah, oh. but yeah, every one of darl's chapters, I was just like, boy, what are you saying? <laughs> Gosh, there's this bit about, like, if I am and was, and if we were and are, and then if the coffin is and was and are and is. I was like, that is not words. Yep. Did you have that? I don't have... I don't have it. Okay, so Darl is, like, the most sensitive, I guess. I for suppose. lack of a better, most poetic voice is what I'm going to call him. You don't care for him, clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also the most, I think, stream of conscious. yeah style of voice that we get. So we can talk about that later. Yeah. Bartiman was easier because I knew he was really young. And so like, he's the one who says, my mother is a fish. Yes. But he is also like sublimating this fish that he caught and killed the day the moment that his mother died right. and like he's processing his trauma in a very childish way because he's a child and so when he's like my mother is a fish and your mother might be a horse i was like okay you're a kid so i'm just gonna forgive you that <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> um darl's a grown man and yeah his stuff it's not poetic so much as banana pants crazy I, it's crazy sometimes but sometimes i also found it poetic and sad and like i think he's suffering from ptsd and then he does go a little banana pants crazy. Yes, he gets committed to an insane asylum at the yeah. end. Um, Which is also out of convenience for ants. <laughs> yep, uh, he for lighting a barn on fire. Yep. yep. He, uh, I have that one quote. Maybe this is what you were referring to. I'm... I don't know what I am. I don't know if I am or not. Jewel knows he is because he does not know that he does not know whether he is or not. He cannot empty himself for sleep because he is not what he is and he is what he is not. that's the most understandable portion it (laughs) keeps going and it gets way more convoluted at some point i think he's just saying the word is over and over yeah he gets very existential and in his head and yes it can become convoluted but then he also has i think some really beautiful descriptions i think you see faulkner coming out the most in darl yeah in darl's voice from having read Other Faulkner. Have you ever read? I have not. I'm tempted to. Okay. I can suggest ones you would like more than others. Great. Um, Because some lean more heavily into this type of writing than others. But this is a description from one of his chapters after his mother dies. She looks down at the face. It is like a casting of fading bronze upon the pillow, the hands alone still with any semblance of life, a curled, gnarled inertness, a spent yet alert quality from which weariness, exhaustion, travail has not yet departed, as though they doubled even yet the actuality of rest, guarding with horned and penurious alertness the cessation which they know cannot last. I mean that's lovely it is yeah but- and then later he gets is 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 is, was yeah his, <laughs> his uh chapters do get very stream of conscious yeah everyone talks about you know Faulkner stream of conscious stream of conscious and like right. everyone who doesn't like it is like i don't like this stream of conscious i i don't except for that one voice really and maybe vardaman some like i think vardaman too, i yeah. i didn't think it was that this one does not lean as heavily okay. as others. I was like, am I missing it, or am I just... No, uh, no, um, you're not. Those two characters, I think, are the most. Okay. Daryl and Vardyman. So, would you say some of his other books have more? Like... Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. The Sound and the Fury, almost exclusively. Okay. And would it's I like longer, it, then? And it's longer than this book. Okay. So, maybe not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't know that stream of consciousness bothers me as long as your consciousness isn't going off the deep end. Yeah, it. I mean, they all have kind of an internal struct, like syntax, syntax to them that yeah. makes it easy to follow once you get in the rhythm. But you really have to... It's the type of reading. You really have to focus. Like, yeah. I cannot read The Sound and the Fury when my toddler is in the room. Right. And you have... It's almost like Shakespeare where it's like, I can't just pick it up and read a chapter and then go fold the laundry and then pick it back up later and read another paragraph. I have to like really immerse myself and get in the rhythm of it. So yeah, it just some of his books that, you know, use it some of the time, all the time. Because yeah, that's pretty much what I knew about him. And I was like, for the most part, this is not striking me as odd. No, he has some books that barely use it at all. Cool. So well, that's pretty much what I had to say about the book. So you can now tell me. Okay. (laughs) Sure. Um, I want to go back to the thing you said at the beginning that you kept wanting to know what would happen because that's so interesting to me. I've always thought of this as a character-driven story because right. of all the different points of view and voices that we get. But the way you described it made it sound like a plot-driven story. Yeah, I mean, I was interested to hear from the next voice and, like, obviously, I mean, the end kind of, She's dead and they're going right. to go bury her. Like, you know the plot pretty right. much. But I was curious, like okay, well, they didn't cross the river. Well, now what? We've still got 75% of a book. I mean, what do they do next? Yep. Okay, now we're at this neighbor's barn and they're stopping for the night. I mean, what now? And like, at some point I could tell that it was just gonna be like a series of unfortunate events. (laughs) Very true. And I just wanted to read the next one. I'm I'm glad you said that because it made me see how it is both. There is character Driving it but then also plot so that's pretty cool do you want to know about Faulkner himself tell me since you're not as well versed in Faulkner I read I know this... nothing of the man I mean I'd read some Faulkner in college being an English major in the South Hello. one must read Faulkner um, but I hadn't read a lot and so I decided to do this thing uh, one year that I got from Gretchen Rubin of the happiness project where it's yeah. like a summer of like, let's have a summer of this author. So I had a summer of Faulkner. Ooh. It was the summer of 2020. Oh, okay. (laughs) I made that goal, like, as part of my New Year's resolutions that January, not knowing it would be COVID time. Did it work with the time or did it go against the time? It worked just fine. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of time on my hands. Um, to, to focus really hard on yeah, this. Yeah, so I read a lot of Faulkner that summer. I reread some that I'd read in college and some that i had never read. I had never read As I Lay Dying, so that was the first time I read that. I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway. The one I'm most curious about is Absalom, Absalom. Oh, I have it. I'll let you borrow it. Do you, is that one of the ones I would like or wouldn't? Like? I haven't read that one yet. Oh. <laughs> I got to August and school started, and I abruptly stopped my Faulkner run. <laughs> that makes sense. I read um, I read The Unvanquished, which I think you would like. That's a good one that people use as a starter Faulkner. Okay. I didn't assign that to you um, for the specific reason of I wanted to assign you one with characters that we would understand more innately. So we've got these rural white People, the Unvanquished gets more into issues of slavery and race, which a lot of his books deal with. They're set in the South. Sure, but that one's a really good starter one. There's like one chapter specifically that lapses into stream of consciousness, and it's very beautiful, I think. But the rest of it is not. Cool. Um, I read this one. I read A Light in August, and Sound and the Fury, and then a bunch of short stories. He wrote tons of short stories. Uh, did you have to read A Rose for Emily in high school? Uh, it's been a been a long time That one's, that's okay that one's one that gets read a lot in high school um but he was a prolific short story writer he wrote 13 novels but then a whole whole bunch of short stories cool so he was born in 1897 died in 1962 which i'm just like man the things you see in that span of time like, yeah he was not super old when he died but that's a lot of changes yeah in the world um he died from a heart attack after like a month after he fell off a horse so okay that's yeah, kind of sad But he is Mississippi through and through. He was born in New Albany. (laughs) That much is clear. And his family moved to Oxford, and that is where he stayed. The same year that he published As I Lay Dying, he bought a house in Oxford. It's called Rowan Oak, like two separate words, Mm -hmm. not like in wherever, one of the Carolinas. Rowan Oak. (laughs) This is Rowan Oak. Um, So the house is still there. It's a museum. You can go there. I've been there. It's super cool. The outline to one of his books is still written on the wall. In oh yeah. The back rooms. So that's kind of what we've talked about like building a cosmere before yeah. when we've talked about Brandon Sanderson or Stephen King. Faulkner kind of does this too but in a much more realistic setting. Yeah, Um a lot of his books revolve around the characters of Yoknapatawpha County, which is <laughs> he he calls it his apocryphal county. Like it's it's made up but it's based yeah on where he grew up in Mississippi. Um Apocryphal County. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know. His house, Roanoke, is right outside of Old Miss's campus. Um, He did go to Old Miss, but like many of these famous men, he was not a good student. Mm -hmm. He didn't even have a high school diploma. You can get into Old Miss without a high school diploma in the... Well, back in those days. Yeah. And he is in... He won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1949, so like quite a few years after this particular novel um, Mm -hmm. was published, and he's the only Nobel laureate from Mississippi. So, oh. unless Donna Tart can like get on it and okay. publish some more books, you can do it, Donna. Yeah, I know. That's a little bit about him. Thirteen novels, lots of short stories. Known for a stream of conscious style and his place in the modernist movements with like James Joyce and Virginia Woolf. Part of the Southern Renaissance in in America. He did he did get inspiration from Sherwood Anderson. Mm. I just have to tell you that. I could like when I was saying like I think I like things that are gothic mm-hmm. and this like small town derelict but beautiful setting. I was like, she's gonna be like, that's what Winesburg Ohio is, well, and I'm gonna be like, yeah, but that one's dumb. The content, <laughs> the content is similar except for the setting, but he does he does it with a lot more humor. Yeah. Um. Than Anderson, Anderson's much more earnest. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Uh. Than Faulkner is. He's got that southern. Yeah, sensibility about him. I I guess you just have to be from the south for me to like him. Yeah, go. and maybe you have to be from the Midwest to so like Anderson. I don't <laughs> know. But this is a funny little tidbit I found on his Wikipedia page. You know his name changed. Hmm. It used to be Faulkner without a U. Okay. Until 1918, and then it was Faulkner with a U. Apparently, at least according to Wikipedia, we're not really sure why. Maybe a typesetter did it wrong in one of his first publications. (laughs) Or he just thought he'd be bougier. I don't know. Like, (laughs) the story goes a typesetter made an error, and they were like, hey, do you want us to change it? He's like, no, suits me fine. (laughs) It's like, well, just go with it. Okay. Because if you look up his relatives, like his grandfather and his father, it's spelled without the U. Yeah. And then he's with the U. Okay. I mean, maybe it was pretension. I don't know. But I think that's I think anything with an added U is pretension. When my friend from Canada writes out color or favorite, (laughs) I'm just like, don't try to be fancy. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. um, So a lot of his novels are set in Yochnapetofa County. The first one's Sardaris, which that's a family name. They don't pop up in this book, but they're in The Unvanquished and some other um, books. That was the first one. I've never read that one. Um, The Sound and the Fury was next and then As I Lay Dying. Uh, And then by the 50s and 60s, he won two Pulitzer Prizes for A Fable, which I believe is the one he has the outline of in his house, and then The Reavers, which was his very last book in 1962. Um, But he was not fond of fame per se he was fond of making money sure aren't we all? <laughs> uh yeah but not so much the fame when he won the nobel prize speech he um began it by saying he didn't win the speech <laughs> <laughs> i didn't even catch it when he, until you said it <laughs> when he won the nobel prize he began his acceptance speech thus I feel that this award was not made to me as a man, but to my work, a life's work in the agony and sweat of the human spirit, not for glory and least of all for profit, but to create out of the materials of the human spirit something which did not exist before. So this award is only mine in trust. It will not be difficult to find a dedication for the money part of it commensurate with the purpose and significance of its origin." And he did use a lot of the money to establish what is now the William Faulkner Foundation um, to encourage new fiction writers. Um, about this book specifically, it was published in 1930, so it was part of why he won the Nobel Prize. Um, he wrote it, reportedly, over the course of six weeks from midnight to 4 a.m. <laughs> at the end of his 12-hour shift at the University of Mississippi powerhouse. Like, he had a 12-hour shift, worked for the first eight, and then the last four, sat down and wrote this book. Wow. And claims that he never changed a word. I saw that, that. But... Yeah. He claims he never changed a word. And I was like, well, if you're stream of conscious, you can just be like, leave it. Yeah, I, I don't just know. Go. This is consistently ranked on lots of lists as like one of the best novels of the 20th century. Uh, it's inspired other critically acclaimed novels. It has a theatrical adaptation, and there's a metalcore band named after this book. Yeah. Yeah, if you searched. When as... I Googled As I Lay Dying, yep, yep. I got a lot of stuff that was not about this book. It was about the band. Yep. Yep. Um and it's just solidified kind of his stylistic place with the other modernists like Joyce and Wolf. Um, And one of the things he does, like James Joyce, you mentioned rewriting this book. Mm -hmm. Did you notice it is a rewrite? What? It's a, well, modern for Faulkner, retelling of the Odyssey. Like, it's an Odyssey story. (laughs) Um, The title comes from a translation, of Homer's Odyssey. Yeah. So he he does that a lot, just like James Joyce with Ulysses, right? Um, his book The Sound and the Fury that takes its title from a line from Macbeth. So mm-hmm. he he and other writers of his time. I'm did just that gonna a lot. keep it going. I'm just gonna yep, Just do the I'm next just gonna one. do a modern rewrite of As What's I Lay the next Dying. one? So if you can think of it as the Odyssey, maybe that'll help. Yeah, you you've talked a lot about the voice which is one of the reasons I love this novel and we've talked about so specific yeah like we've talked about voiciness before and you've talked about trying to use voice in your own writing to have so many characters in this rather spare book like it's Mm -hmm. not super long and they're also distinct yeah is really cool and at the same time you can hear the author in it oh yeah like voiciness to me is the author's voiciness as in like no one could have written this but you the way you would have written this sentence is different from the way your average person would have written it. And right. then also making the distinct characters. Yeah, so I thought it was pretty marvelous, this particular novel, for that reason. Not yeah. all of his novels it's have that It's many- really hard, like, for modern novels, and I know this because I write them like this with right. multiple points of view, it's tough to make them stand out distinct from each other especially if they're characters from the same background and time and these are all sons of the same yeah they're all family members for the most part so that would have taken some doing yeah it it was really cool um his style is very meticulous his diction his cadence he it's kind of a contrast to hemingway even though that was a contemporary and somebody he drew inspiration from because Hemingway is so minimalistic and mm-hmm. and so he gets a lot more Faulkner gets a lot more convoluted, um, as you said, which, you know, had mixed reviews even in his time. Sure. <laughs> I have this quote from a 1956 Paris review. So this is after he's won the Nobel Prize, maybe one Pulitzer, I don't know. Um, he said, Let the writer take up surgery or brick lane if he is interested in technique. There is no mechanical way to get the writing done, no shortcut. The young writer should be a fool to follow a theory. Teach yourself by your own mistakes. People learn only by error. (laughs) Which, that was fun. And then the interviewer asked him, like, so a lot of people think that your books are kind of hard to understand. Mm -hmm. Even if they read it, you know, two or three times. What would you say to them? You want to guess his response? Read it again? Read it four times. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. I love that. (laughs) I know. He's, like, not apologetic at all. Like, it made me think of Murakami, like, Oh, the secret? Read it again. (laughs) Um, I like that I got to know Faulkner well enough through this book that I knew that his response was, then I guess you need to read it again. I thought this particular novel was a good entryway to Faulkner. It was not so convoluted. Really, it was just Darl, where I was like, boy, get out of your head, you're crazy. And he he is legit, like, has some mental issues. Yeah. So it makes sense for his character. To be yeah. like that. Um, don't start with the sound and the fury, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> I think I did. I, what <laughs> I tried to read the sound and the fury when I was in like high school uh. because I was being I was in my pretentious phase. Sure. And someone told me, you know, I read the sound of the fury. He was like, oh, I'm gonna do that too. And I was like, nah. oh my gosh, I got through like one and a half pages, and I was like, this is going back to the library. I cannot don't start i don't even think i think that was the last one i read that summer yeah teenage me uh. attempted it to try and be cool i did not yeah i mean i liked it but i that was the hardest one to read yeah out of all of them that i read for sure and then yeah i i had some quotes but honestly i think we've really covered that as far as his style of writing i just i like the writing as well as the content so that's that's always nice You know, Albert Camus, French philosopher, wrote The Stranger. Mm -hmm. He he wrote that Faulkner successfully imported classical tragedy into the 20th century. So taking that, like, Homer's Odyssey. um, Through his quote interminably unwinding spiral of words and sentences that conducts the speaker to the abyss of sufferings buried in the past. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Someone like, also wanted to I do exactly but whatever like, that quote said. Interminable spiraling of sentences. I'm like, yes, that is yeah. Faulkner. That, I get that. I feel like he had to Someone felt inspired by Faulkner while writing. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> And like I said, this book focuses more on the plight of these like white, rural, southern people, mm-hmm. but a lot of his other books do talk a lot about slavery and African Americans, and it, it's had mixed reviews on that account, and I you know just think that bears mentioning, and I think he's a part of his time, Yeah, too. Like James Baldwin, not a fan. Ralph Ellison is quoted as saying, no one in American fiction has done so much to explore the types of Negro personality, as has Faulkner. Right. So, like, he did make them characters in his story and explore them, but he was an advocate of slow integration, mm. so as to not take away the southern style of living. Like, mm. he wanted it to happen, but, like, not all at once. Let's, like, which... Which okay, I'm sure is not a viewpoint yeah, that no. uh, goes over well. Yeah, gained some criticism for that. But, again, I think it's a lot of just yeah the product of his time. And I didn't want to get into that, but yeah. it bears mentioning sure um so yeah that's faulkner he and i love diving into his weird southern cosmere i guess yeah <laughs> i think it's it. cool like so you mentioned cosmere but on like a more realistic setting yeah uh taylor jenkins reed who's one of my favorite authors oh, right yeah. now and i've recommended books of hers to you but i don't think you've read any of them I read yet daisy jones and the six okay okay that's the only um, one hers is essentially a cosmere too at least daisy jones Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo, Okay. Uh, Carrie Soto is back, and... That's the tennis one? Yeah, Mm -hmm. and, uh, gosh, I think one other. But, yeah, like, it just mentions some of the same people. Like, this is in L.A., but it's obviously fictional L.A., Mm -hmm. and, like, the family that pops up from the county in multiple books. Yes, the Sartorists. So, yeah, so it's kind of like that. Like, she has her own world with the same people, and I... I really like that. I dig that. Like, I think it's really cool. And I have no idea if Faulkner was the first to do it or not. But certainly he's the oldest that I have read that, you know, I'll be reading a book and it's like just this character will pop up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I know him from over here. So the Cosmere is not just for fantasy writers. No. You you could do it too. It could just be a little county in Mississippi. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So you want to hit me with some one-star reviews? Yeah. um, I didn't necessarily feel the way that these reviews did, but, you know. It's for the raspberry jam since this is a classic not classic you know in quotes novel I'm sure there's some good ones yeah there were lots yeah oh yeah okay so these are all one star Mm mm-hmm okay Maria my mother's name as I lay dying seems to be a very suitable title for this particular narrative since it describes how I felt reading this book yep go for that low-hanging fruit girl (laughs) yeah Nora, I feel like I should get down on my knees and pray and honestly just become a born-again Christian so I don't have to go to hell because I have to assume that eternal damnation is just reading this book over and (laughs) over and over until the end of time. (laughs) That was specific, and I liked the specificity of it. it. It really is. Sarah, this is great. What a good metaphor. Okay, Sarah. This book is a modernist frog I wish I'd never kissed. (laughs) It often makes no sense, and even when Faulkner yields a rare glimmer of coherence, I just don't care. (laughs) Here's an example excerpt. And before you are emptied for sleep, what are you? And when you are emptied for sleep, you are not. And when you are filled with sleep, you never were. I don't know what I am. I don't know if I am or not. Jewel knows he is, because he does not know what he does not know, whether he is or not. He cannot empty himself for sleep, because he is not what he is, and he is what he is not. See? (laughs) That's from that same passage, but it- It's longer. It got crazier. Yep. Ugh. The first few times Faulkner pulled this crap on me, I enthusiastically mined the ore Because, yes, there are some nuggets in all that jabber. But ultimately, either say it or don't. Get yourself an editor and shape that stream of consciousness diarrhea into a real story. (laughs) That's, you know, it's just not entirely wrong. Queeby. Queeby? I guess. I only know what happened because my English teacher told me. (laughs) This book makes absolutely no sense, but it deserves a star for the My Mother is a Fish chapter and that dude going crazy. (laughs) I do remember that chapter. Mm -hmm. Because that's the whole chapter, we should say. It's just Vardaman. It says, My Mother is a Fish. Whole chapter. (laughs) It reminded me of that chapter in Life of Pi, where all he says is, I sang my mom happy birthday. Yeah. Like. I like one sentence chapters, yeah. Not you can't pull that all the time, no, you it's gotta, gotta save be it. sparse, save it. and it's gotta be for something good. If someone tries to make a moment out of a one sentence chapter and I'm like, oh, that didn't land. Yeah. But my mother is a fish landed. That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it's just hecka weird, which I like. I'm gonna make that a sticker, that's gonna be one of our new stickers. Yes! My mother is a fish. Yes. And finally, Mary-Kate. By the time I finished this book, I was ready to hurl it into the ocean. <laughs> The only reason I did not was because I did not want to litter. <laughs> <laughs> At least she's environmentally I mean, conscious. Yeah, those are fun. Yep, not and not as uh, hateful as I'm sure there were worse ones. Yeah, but I didn't need anyone's vitriol. I know. I just wanted. Well, cool. I knew that you would be shocked that I liked this one. I'm really glad that you did, and I, I'm going to be thinking now about which ones yeah. you might like. But short stories, definitely, those are a lot easier to digest, and he wrote a whole lot. Yeah. I fully expect to hate the next book that you make me read, but right now we're going to talk about the next book that you have to read. Gotcha. Okay. Which is The Sundown Motel by Simone St. James. Yes. All right, so that is what we will be talking about next week. Join us. Thank you for listening to You Might Hate This Book. Join us again next week for more discussion of the books we love. And the books we hate. You can help others find this podcast by leaving us a review and five-star rating. And don't forget to hit subscribe. You can offer additional support and earn cool perks by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash hate this book pod. Special thanks to Montague Workshop. See you next week. Ryan. Ugh.